You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Elvis Presley has to be one of the most outstanding people that it's been my pleasure to meet in my lifetime. After listening to his voice, seeing his demeanor, his manner, and what I thought was a very different style, I was highly impressed with uh, what I thought he could do as an artist. And regardless of what happened to Elvis in his latter years, he had one of the strongest souls and spirits about him of any person I've ever seen. Well, you say you, you, you had something to do with the guy being on the scene. Sure as hell did. Sure did. But you have to keep in mind what we were doing at Sun Records with Elvis Presley. And as so it turned out that Elvis was a great catalyst for all of the things that we did at Sun. But you had to have a feeling that this man had the strength and the worth within him to go on and to go on and to go on until we made it, or by golly, we didn't make it. It is no mystery at all to me that the man has become the biggest thing in the history of entertainment. I know that some of you may differ with me. When you have the things that have been said about Elvis Presley, bad, good, indifferent, and you survive them as if you were a duck in a fresh pond. There's got to be something in your soul, in your spirit, that you have left along the way. Because you're not going to sustain yourself head and shoulders above practically anybody I've ever known in the entertainment business. And I'm not biased about it and have it go on year in, year out, year in, year out, worldwide. Try that one on for size. Hello and welcome to part one of Sundays, a study of the recordings done by Elvis Presley at the now legendary Sun Studio in Memphis, Tennessee. In this first episode, I will take you through the first 18 recordings he did at Sam Phillips' studio, including samples of each song, some outtakes, and studio chatter. Before I dive into the sessions, here's a little history about the famous studio. On January 3rd, 1950, WREC radio engineer Sam Phillips opened the Memphis Recording Service at 706 Union Avenue with his assistant and longtime friend, Marion Keisker. Sam had dreamed of opening his own recording studio since he was a young man. However, getting the company off the ground was no easy task. To create revenue at the beginning... He would record conventions, wedding, choirs and the like. Sam's slogan for the studio was, We record anything, anywhere, anytime. He would also allow anybody to walk in and, for a small fee, record their own record. In June 1950, Sam and his friend, local DJ Dewey Phillips, who was no relation, set up their own record label called Phillips Records. The purpose of the label was to record black artists of the South who wanted to make a recording but had no place to do so. The label failed to make an impact and folded after just one release, 
Boogie in the Park by Joe Hill Lewis, which sold less than 400 copies. After the failure of Philips Records, Sam began working closely with other record labels such as Chess and Modern Records, providing demo recordings for them and recording master tapes for their artists. In March 1951, Philips recorded what many consider to be the first rock and roll song, Rocket 88, by Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats. The song was written by Ike Turner. You've heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they make But let me introduce my new Rocket 88 Yes, it's straight, just one way Everybody likes my Rocket 88 Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along The song features one of the first examples of a fuzz guitar. Peter Goralnik, in his biography of Sam Phillips, says the guitar amp was dropped from the car's trunk when the band got a flat tire and was digging out the spare as the band travelled from Mississippi to Memphis along Highway 61 for the session. An attempt was made to hold the cone in place by stuffing the amplifier with wadded newspapers which unintentionally created a fuzz sound. The recording became a big seller reaching number one on the Billboard R&B chart. In 1952, Sam once again relaunched his record label, this time calling it Sun Records. He recorded several artists who would go on to have successful careers, among them B.B. King, Joe Hill Lewis, Rufus Thomas and Howlin' Wolf. Despite the success of these artists, Phillips found it increasingly difficult to keep profits up. He drove over 60,000 miles in one year to promote the singers with radio stations and distributors. Sam was able to keep his business afloat by recording several other acts, including the Prisoners, a black quartet who were given permission to leave prison in June 1953 to record their single Just Walking in the Rain, later a hit for Johnny Ray in 1956. The song was a big enough hit for an article to appear about the recording in the Memphis Press Scimitar on July 15th. Could this article have been the catalyst for Elvis to go to the studio on Saturday, July 18th, just three days after this article appeared, and record his very first record? Evening shadows make me blue When each weary day is through How I long to be My happiness Every day I reminisce Dreaming of your tender kiss 
Always thinking how I miss my If you find your sweetheart in the arms of a friend, that's when your heartaches begin. When dreams of a lifetime. Has come to an end. As when your heartaches begin. It's been said on many occasions that Elvis recorded these songs for his mother Gladys's birthday. However, she was born in April, so it's more likely Elvis wanted to know what he sounded like on record. Peter Goralnik states in his autobiography, Last Train to Memphis, that he went to the recording studio in the hope of being discovered. Whatever the reason, we do know that Sam's assistant, Marion Keisker, was impressed enough by the young singer to make a note on file. She wrote, Good ballad singer, hold. She asked Elvis what kind of singer he was, and he said he sang all kinds. She tried a different line of questioning when she asked, Well, who do you sound like? His reply was to prove prophetic. I don't sound like nobody. With that, he walked out of the tiny studio clutching his newly cut acetate disc, unaware that he'd taken the first step down the road leading to a monumentally successful recording career. Whether Elvis expected a call from Marion or Sam asking him back to the studio to record more songs is unclear. No call was made, and Elvis may have made a New Year's resolution to return to the studio first opportunity he got in 1954. January 4th was the first Monday of the new year. Elvis returned to Sun that day and recorded a second two-sided acetate. If you find someone new Who means more than me to you I'll never stand in your way If you feel we must part Don't let pity rule your heart I'll never stand in your way I could wander the byway We wanted to but it wouldn't be the same without you. Those familiar old places would just make me blue. Cause it wouldn't be the same without you. This second acetate was always thought to be I'll Never Stand in Your Way and Casual Love. However, some years ago, it was discovered that it was It Wouldn't Be the Same Without You. This time, it was Sam who was at the studio when Elvis came in. He also made a note that Elvis had a good ballad voice. 
But again, nothing was done about getting the young man with the strange name back to the studio to make any formal recordings. In May of 1954, Sam received a demo from Peer Records of the song Without You. Sam failed to locate the singer and Marion suggested they give Elvis a call to see if he could make anything of the song. Elvis joked later he was so excited when she called that he was at the studio before Marion had put the phone down. A nervous Elvis arrived at the studio on Saturday, June 26th to try out a song, as Marion had put it. Coincidentally, this date would be a landmark date a few times for Elvis. His future manager, Tom Parker, was born on this day in 1909. In 1977, it marked Elvis's final live concert performance. June 26, 1979 was also the date his father Vernon passed away. It's unlikely the rehearsal was recorded, as Sam wouldn't have been keen on using expensive tape on someone with no track record in the recording industry. Rumour has it that other songs were tried out also. Rag Mop, a song from the early 50s, was thought to be one of those. Sam felt that the boy could do with a little support as Elvis's cheap guitar only provided sparse accompaniment. Years later, Elvis himself said it sounded like someone beating on a bucket. Guitarist Scotty Moore was a member of the group Doug Poindexter and the Starlight Wranglers with Bill Black as the bassist. He'd recorded a few numbers at Sam's studio in early 1954 and often called in to see Sam to have coffee and talk about what was happening in the music business. In early July, Sam handed Scotty a slip of paper with a name and phone number on it. He said, Call this guy up and get him to go over to your house and see what you and Bill think of him. Scotty looked at the paper and said, Elvis Presley? What kind of name is that? Scotty called the number and introduced himself, saying he represented Sun Records and could Elvis come over to his house one day for an audition. They agreed to meet up Sunday afternoon, July the 4th. Scotty recalls they ran through just about every song they knew. After Elvis left, Scotty asked Bill what he thought. Bill replied that although he had a good voice, he hardly blew him away. Scotty called Sam and said with a little work and encouragement they might have something there they could work with. Sam suggested the three of them get together the next evening to see what they sounded like in the studio. Monday, July 5th, had been a typically hot day in Memphis and the heat inside the tiny studio was stifling. There was no air conditioning as the sound of it would have been picked up by the mics. So it was a fairly sweaty trio who began recording that evening with the song Harbour Lights. It had been a big hit for the Sammy Kay Orchestra in September 1950. The first and second takes were false starts, but they completed the third. Once. 
Out of the eight takes done, only three and seven were complete. These recordings remained unreleased for 22 years until take three was issued on the album Elvis, A Legendary Performer, Volume 2, on Elvis's 41st birthday, January 8, 1976. After that underwhelming start, they launched into a version of the Leon Payne hit from 1949, I Love You Because. The first take broke down after just 23 seconds. The second take was complete, though. I love you because you understand I love you because you understand every single thing I try to do you That to lend a helping hand, I love you most of all because you're you. It didn't get any better when, for the following take, it was decided Elvis should whistle during the intro. Splice of this take and the fifth was eventually used by RCA on Elvis's debut album released in March 1956. The sweaty, thirsty trio took a break, quenching their thirst with some ice-cold cokes. A little small talk took place, and then a truly seminal moment in music history. Scotty picks up the story. But anyway, we went through two or three, two or three different songs, and uh, more or less taking a break, having coffee, coke. And uh, Elvis started clowning around. He picked up his guitar and started uh, gibbetsing, singing That's All Right Mama. He started singing That's All Right Mama and, and clowning around studio dancing, just cutting up in general. And uh, Bill picked up his bass, started slapping and, and clowning also. And then I joined in, and it was just a rhythm vamp. And Sam was in the control room, the door was open. And he came out and said, what are y'all doing? So that sounds pretty good. I said, we, we don't know. He said, well, 
See if you can do it again the same way. Let's put it on tape, see what it sounds like. So sound pretty good through the door. So we kind of looked around at each other and said, well, what were we doing? So we backtracked and tried to, tried to do it again. And uh, I think we did it twice more. We did it once for Sam to get a, get a balance. And then we put it, then we put it on tape. And that was it. They did one more take after this, and that was the one used for release, take four. Listening to the playback, they all knew they had something, they just didn't know what. Sam was convinced if he could get another song recorded for the B-side, he could release it. So two days later, Wednesday, July 7th, they all met up at the studio to try to record the other side to That's Alright Mama. They began recording the Bill Monroe song that had been a hit for him in 1947, Blue Moon of Kentucky. A few days later, next night or two, oh gosh, I don't remember. But uh, we, had the, we had the one song. We didn't know what we had. We knew it was different. So now the problem was to get something for the other side in, in the same vein. And I don't remember what kind of songs we possibly went through in this session. But again, during a break, Bill Black started clowning and singing Blue Moon of Kentucky in a high falsetto a la Bill Monroe. And, uh, but he was slapping the bass and everything. And Elvis joined in and started singing it with him and I think we all knew immediately when this happened that this might be you know what we was looking for so we kind of stopped and figured out where to start and stop and put it on tape and that was it they began at a much slower tempo than the version that was released as the b-side to that's all right but even then Sam could hear the potential in it as can be heard by his comments at the end of the take Blue moon. Kentucky keep on shining Shine on the one that's gone and left me blue Blue moon of Kentucky keep on shining Shine on the one that's gone and proved untrue It was on one night night the stars were shining bright Keep on shining Shine on the 
and left me blue That's a pop song now, ain't it, about <laughs> Too much fast, Lee. <laughs> I had it, too. You ain't just a woof. The exact date of Elvis's next session at Sun is unknown. It took place sometime between August 15th and 19th. The song they recorded this time had been popularised by Billy Eckstein in 1949, Blue Moon. Blue Moon. Standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own Blue moon You knew just what I was there for You heard me sing The tape box for Blue Moon states that the master is take four. However, since the tapes were reanalyzed, each false start has been allocated a separate take, which makes the master take nine. This song made its first appearance on the 1956 LP, Elvis Presley. It's believed they also tried the song Tiger Man at this session, as Elvis himself referred to it as My Second Record in several live shows in August 1970. Again, the exact date of the next session is unknown, but best estimates are that he was in the studio sometime between Sunday, September 12th and Thursday the 16th. With no clear idea of what they needed to record to follow up on the success that his first single was beginning to have, Sam just let the boys think of a song, hit the record button and captured whatever happened. This time they attempted a song that had been a hit for Lonnie Johnson. Tomorrow Night had been a number one on the R&B chart in 1948 for Lonnie. Just another lovely soul That's in my poor heart To linger on Your lips are so tender Your heart is beating fast And you're willing to surrender Tell me, darling, will it last tomorrow night? Tomorrow Night is a song he sang all the time at home with girlfriend Dixie Locke, but Sam knew this wasn't the kind of song he wanted Elvis to record. It wasn't that Elvis didn't sing the song well, for this time he certainly did. The confidence he'd gained could already be heard in his voice. Trying to explain why he let Elvis cut so many ballads, Sam said, I didn't have the heart to stop him. The song remained unreleased until 1965, 
when it appeared on the LP Elvis for Everyone. An overdub session took place at RCA's Studio B in Nashville on Thursday, March 18, 1965, when guitar, harmonica and backing vocals were added. It was also slowed down by approximately 8%, maybe in an attempt to make Elvis's vocal sound more like it did in the 60s. I have to say I don't like this version. I don't like it at all. Give me the original 1954 recording any day. The Jimmy Wakely number, I'll Never Let You Go Little Darling, was next. They experimented over four takes, changing the tempo near the ending. My arms would never hold This was yet another recording that would be shelved and included in Elvis's 1956 WLP. Elvis then recorded one very quick take lasting only 1 minute 15 seconds of the Martha Carson song, Satisfied. If I'm worried about tomorrow When I reach my journey's end Well, I'm satisfied with my Jesus When he knows I'll let him in He'll go with me through the valley For I know the tape of this recording has never been located, although it definitely existed, as when Elvis signed for RCA in November 1955, 15 reels of tape were handed over to the company. RCA's A&R executive Steve Scholes went through the reels and made notes about the contents of each on the tape boxes. More about these 15 tapes in part two. The box containing the satisfied tape was marked number 12. Steve noted, satisfied 115NG which presumably means no good. The next song was also destined to be shelved for nearly two years and included on his first album. 
It's the fast-paced Bob and Joe Shelton song, Just Because. Well, 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 that's because you think you're so pretty And just because your mama thinks you're hot Well, just because you think you've got something That no other girl has got You cause me to spend all of my money You laugh and call me old Santa Claus Well, I'm telling you, baby, I'm through with you Because we'll, we'll just be equal Interestingly, the original release has the intro clipped off at the very beginning. Once again, this was corrected in the box set A Boy from Tupelo. Listen one more time. This was achieved by using a tiny fraction of recording from Elvis's Good Rocking Tonight. The next song was I Don't Care If The Sun Don't Shine, which had been a top 10 hit for Patti Page in 1950. It became the B-side of Elvis's second single for Sun Records. The A-side was this beauty. Well, I heard you That's good to rock it tonight. Well, I heard you That's good to rock it tonight. I'm on the hold of my baby as tight as I can. Tonight she'll know I'm a mighty, mighty man. I heard you news. That's good to rock it tonight. I say, oh, meet me in a hurry behind the bars. In my opinion, and I stress it's only my opinion, I think Good Rockin' Tonight is the best recording he did for Sun, and it's my own personal favourite from this era. On Monday, November the 15th, Elvis, Scotty and Bill met up once again at the studio. Their aim was to record both sides for a third single. For the A-side, Elvis chose a song that must have been one of his earliest memories whilst growing up in Tupelo. Written by Kokomo Arnold and originally recorded by him in 1934, it was Milk Cow Blues Boogie. As I woke up this morning and I looked out those Says I know my mammy's milk cup put it, Mama Lord, but I wish you load. Lord, if you see my milk cup put it, I said, please drive her home. Says I ain't had no milk in butter, Mama. Lord, since my cow been gone. Then in 1946, Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys covered it. Tommy. Well, I woke up this morning. Yes, yes. And I looked outdoors. Outside, you mean? I could tell my milk cow. I could tell by the way she looked. Tell me more. If you see my milk cow, who drive her on home? What's the matter, boy? Getting low on milk? I ain't had. 
heard of it before. Uh-huh. Elvis's version is closer to the one done by Bob Wills. Oh, well, I woke up this morning And I looked out the door I can tell that old milk cow For the way she looks Holy fellas, that don't move me Let's get real, real gone for a change Well, I woke up this morning And I looked out the door I can tell that old milk cow I can tell the way she looks Now if you see my milk cow Keep it right for her home home That cat been gone. Well, I tried to reach you right day by day. For the B-side, Elvis chose another fairly obscure song written by Jack Sally called You're a Heartbreaker. You're a heartbreaker, you love baker, a heartbreaker playing with fire. You're a tear snatcher. But you can't break my heart anymore For I have just found someone else Who's sure to take your place Someone I can always trust And fill this empty space You're a heartbreaker You're a love faker But you can't break my heart anymore The single was released on January 8th, 1955 Elvis's 20th birthday. The master tapes for these two songs were never turned over to RCA, possibly because they had been recorded over in error. RCA made dubs from Mint 78 RPM copies that were used to produce replacement masters for a late 1955 single release and for future use. That brings us to the end of part one. In part two, I will cover the remainder of the recordings Elvis did at Sun Studio during 1955. You can contact me by email at elvistheultimatefanchannel at gmail.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter at Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. My podcasts are available on all good podcast providers, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and iHeartRadio, to name just a few. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time for another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel podcast. You're a heartbreaker, you love a baker, but you can't break my heart anymore.